Hello, everybody, and welcome to another episode of an Informed Life Radio on 1150 AM KKNW and streaming to you on CHDTV. Um, you know, I, I say this every week. You probably all think I'm a broken record, but yep, the revolution, it is a happening. And I'm really excited today. It's its all good news. It's all positive news. We've got two full hours talking about the solution. Um and well, I'm just going to go ahead and, and jump right in. Let's bring on our very first guest, Julie Wentz, who is on the advisory board of Freedom Healthcare. Hello, Julie. Hi, Bernadette. How are you? I'm very good. You know, I, I didn't um, I didn't get your bio because sometimes I just really enjoy hearing my guests explain who they are without me blah blah blah. I, I tend to do that too much anyway. So Julie, tell us a little bit about yourself and what led you on the path to being part of Freedom Healthcare. Well, it's been a, a really interesting kind of backstory over the last three years. Just a little bit about my background, um, uh, business development, small tech startups, organizational management, uh, event planning. So things that are more uh, business oriented. And as I ended up stepping into Freedom Healthcare, which not having a medical background, uh, but the things that God has done the last three years have been pretty amazing leading to this place and time. But where it actually started was about three years ago. Um, it was February 2020. And I had uh, a couple ladies come and stay with me. And one of the ladies used to work for Boeing. And she lived in Wuhan, China for three years, and she knew the virology <laughs> lab, and she knew the wet market. So we had conversations over four or five nights, and they were staying at my house. And that conversation took me down, <laughs> took me down the rabbit hole of never looking back. And I already knew something was off. I knew something was really wrong with what was going on. God gives us wisdom and discernment, and there was just something really off. It didn't feel right. So during that period of time, I kind of jumped into freedom fighting in Arizona. I've just been here in Tennessee for about four months and getting involved with different groups and then co-founded Arizona Stands Up with a friend of mine. And we were collaborating with uh, Ohio Stands Up, Jason, and then Tom Renz in his lawsuit, and then Anna Garner down in New Mexico Stands Up. So we were looking for an attorney to take down the state of emergency. And me, who just had this nice little tiny life with my dog and I, um, didn't like history, didn't like politics, was not involved with things like that, started getting a real crash course on what was actually happening in the world as my eyes were open daily to what was going on. So we started looking for an attorney couldn't find any of the normal pro bono ones, you know, Pacific Legal, Liberty Council, even though they've now done things, nobody was willing to take this. And it was a constitutionally uh, protected rights lawsuit that really everybody should have been stepping up for. Nothing. And then we started looking at secular attorneys. We finally found one firm that was willing to take it. They were a conservative firm. And we started raising the money for the retainer. 
And then when we got close to that, we called them and say, hey, we just have a couple questions. And the uh, head attorney of the firm said, um, you know, sorry, we can't help you. Governor Ducey has asked us to represent the, him on another lawsuit. So it'd be a conflict. <sighs> So I had all sorts of choice words going on in my head. Yeah, but- like you you said yes to us first. Yes, exactly. <laughs> but obviously money and power talks and everything else goes the wayside. And we've learned that over this last three years. So we started looking for other attorneys and stopped even getting into conversations with them, but starting the conversation with, are you a constitutional attorney? Because that's what we're going to be looking for. And there was one attorney who was well-known in Arizona, asked him that question on the phone, and he laughed and said, the Constitution has been gone for 120 years. And I just went, click, we're done. So this is what we were running up against, not being able to find any attorneys. And then during this time, you know, some of the, the mass mandates came down. So we started doing more grassroots efforts. We started a a grassroots newspaper called the Freedom Papers. We started town halls, bringing information to people in the public. But then when they started pushing the, I just call it a kill shot, the vaccine in the beginning to our medical professionals and our frontline responders, it's like, oh, I know what they're doing. Like, I know what's coming. And we were trying to figure out how can we help the medical professionals not have to take this uh, shot and still hold their ground with their jobs. So, so explain to me what, you know, the specifics when you said, I know what they're doing. It's been, it was very clear. I mean, God gives us that ability to see what's happening and what's going on and the agenda that was at play. So I understood, I remember at one of our meetings, um, one of our last Arizona stands at meetings, a gentleman said, he goes, why are they doing this? Why are they doing this? And I said, you have to understand the agenda. If they take out our frontline responders, they start pulling out the majority of our police. There's either, you know, giving them the shot, demanding they take the shot or the other ones quit. That breaks down our frontline defense. Same thing with our our, uh, army and army and Navy and all of our uh, armed forces and our Marines and everything. Same type of thing. They've been injected with whatever is in these shots. The same thing with our front caregivers. If you start taking out that front line, there's no one to take care of the people that are really going to be sick and dying. And then you've literally made America defenseless at a city and state and and federal level. So I look at it as like, okay, Russia and China just walk on in. And yeah, I just want to say what I think is is really interesting here. Um, You're bringing a perspective which I toy with like the intention here. It's the intention we're talking about. Um, And I kind of lean in that direction. Sometimes it seems to be there. But, you know, even if there was no ulterior or ulterior, I can't, you know what I'm saying, intention, the actions had the same outcome. So let's say it was purely greed and this belief that vaccines save the world from everything, pure greed by the pharmaceutical industry, capture of our public health oversight agencies, that alone is enough to explain why they push it out. They have to have the healthcare workers because if they're going to 
get people to trust, and I'm doing that with air quotes for the radio audience, if they're going to get people to trust and have confidence, they have to have the healthcare workers tout it and say, I got it. Didn't you got it? get it, right? And of course, we know they didn't want it. But that, you know, and, but it has the same thing of taking either having people quit, be fired, or be sick, or die, yeah. right? Same goal. I mean, not, I mean, same, um, accomplishment, even if you remove the conspiratorial intention. Right. 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 So, yeah. And you can, that kind of fits everything. Then, then if this is incompetence and greed and just a giant cluster, you know what, this is AM radio, so I can't say it, but (laughs) um, it, I mean, what's more appalling that they would do it intentionally or they're so inept and corrupt. They're just killing people out of ineptness. I mean, it's horrific either way. Okay, you go on. It's definitely, it's, you're right. It's, it's evil either way. You can look at it either way and either way has a horrible outcome. Lives have been damaged. Careers have disappeared. Families have been split. People have died. More people are going to die. Whatever the outcome is of whether, you know, like you said, they're that inept to not understand what's happening, which I really don't believe. How can you in the face of so much evidence now? And so many people are fearful of speaking up because they don't want to lose their. I mean, yeah, when you look at the tangle of everything, all the money and power and fear to keep people from speaking up about what's happening. Yeah, that's when it leans toward the intent theory being that they wanted this to happen. Yeah. Right. Because and all all the little pieces that were happening along the way. And I'll tell you about the document process in a second, but I got after a while of people going, Oh, I need help. I need help. I started getting, you know, frustrated going, you need to just stand up for yourself. I shouldn't be having to help you. An attorney shouldn't be having to help you. You need to stand up for your, First Amendment rights, your bodily autonomy, stand up and say no, stand up for your family. What are your kids going to say with what happens later? What are your grandkids going to say? You know, grandma and grandpa, what did you do for me when this was going on? Did you stand up for my future? It was getting to those kind of conversations. And I I ended up having this one uh, pharmacist call from either Safeway or CVS. He ended up getting hold of my number and calling going, I need to talk to an attorney. I, I don't know what to do. I, I, I don't want to give these shots anymore, but I need help. And all I said was stop giving them. Just stop. Stop doing this to people. You have the right to stand up and not do it. You yeah. don't need any help to say no. Mm-hmm. Just stop it. You know what these shots are doing to yeah. people. Just stop it. Right. They have, and the answer is so simple and yet so difficult for people to do because they're not used to it. They're not, people in this country are learning how to be real Americans. We're learning what f- the value of freedom and the sacrifice of freedom. We're learning that if you want to, if you want to live by your ethics and what you know to be right, you have to stand up and then be willing to take just the immediate consequence. The long-term consequence is a free nation and you, you saved your grandkids. The immediate consequence might be you're suspended from your job, you know, things like that. But, you know, that's small, says Bernadette, who has no job to lose. That's small compared to the big picture. So bravo on you. And and that's really what I'm so excited about Freedom Healthcare, because it's it's instead of complaining about how bad the, the systems are, 
it's a whole new way of doing thing and it exists right now, which is exciting. So we're getting there, listeners. We're, we're getting to Freedom Healthcare, but we're on the journey of how Julie Wentz got there. Okay. Do you remember yeah. where you were? Because I interrupted you and you're- No, no, no. That's fine. That's fine. It was actually when all of the medical professionals were getting hit with having to take this shot. So the three big systems in Arizona are Banner, Honor, and Dignity. And there were so many of the medical professionals and the nurses that just, you know, didn't want to take it. So we put together, and this is something I'd learned from the last year and a half, all this information that God's like, oh, you're going to learn this. You're going to learn this. And I'm not a lawyer. And I had never done this kind of paperwork. So we created a document process that had three parts. There was, um, you know, informed consent. There was a notice to the employer. There was an affidavit and then there was a cease and desist. And these were all served by the employees to the HR and the CEOs of the systems, the hospitals themselves. And uh, it we had like a 99.9% success rate. These The employees that used this along with their religious exemptions held their jobs and didn't have to take the shot. The ones that didn't either you know, submitted to it and took it or walked away and got fired. But we know it made a difference because three of the four CEOs at Dignity that were served suddenly retired. So three of the four retired. And and it was, it was really cool because each of those, and I'd never done a cease and desist before I actually asked Anna, our, you know, she's one of our lead advisors. She was the one that co-founded Arizona or uh, New Mexico stands up. I said, Anna, you're having success in New Mexico with these cease and desist. Can you just send me a generic one so I can play with it? You know, I just want to, I don't know what it is, but let me, let me try. So she, she gave me kind of like a template and I, it was so cool because I had the employees inside the system sending me information so like what they were telling them about COVID, what the, was in the vaccine, what they had to do. I mean, all this information. And I took that and put it into these cease and desist along with, you know, U.S. code and constitutional information and Clean Hands Act and just all this stuff and put a, a $2 million liability, personal liability on the head of the CEOs in HR should they ever fire anyone over not taking this shot. And I knew that it wasn't going to help the employees at that moment, other than they did hold their job. But I knew down the road when the truth started coming out that they would be able to use these because they had timeframes in those documents that they had to respond by. And if they didn't respond, it meant guilt. So they had a period of time. So they would be able to use these down the road. But during this time, I just felt like we're just running around like, chickens with our heads cut off. We're not, everybody's, which fire are we going to fight? Are we going to fight the election fire? Are we going to fight the the healthcare? Are we going to fight the the crazy, you know, superintendent of schools and what they're teaching the kids? There were fires everywhere and we were just running around going, what do we, what do we do next? It felt reactive. It wasn't proactive. Yes. And I was uh, talking with one of my friends and, and just she, out of the blue, she's like, we need to start in the healthcare system. And I'm like, well, that's outside of my wheelhouse. I have no medical background. I have, there's, there's no way that's too big of a thing. I can't, I can't do anything like that. And she was just like, well, how do you know that God doesn't have you right here right now for something like this? And I'm like, okay, 
I'm just going to pray about it. So I prayed about it for a couple of weeks. Just get, just, okay, Lord, I can be hands and feet. I'm an organizer. I understand business. I said, but you got to bring the people. You got to bring the people because I can't do this on my own. And we need all of the pieces of the puzzle to make this come to fruition. And watching everything the last three years, we've watched every system become corrupt. Our legal system, judicial system, our government, education, health, every system is corrupt. And I don't think any of them are fixable. Mm -hmm. We're at a point where we need to create new to step to the side and run parallel to create new systems because the existing ones are so corrupt, especially healthcare. When you look at the evil symbiotic relationship between big food and big pharma and what that looks like, it's not about health anymore. It's not about historical education and reading, writing, and arithmetic. It's not about legal cases based on our constitution or judges that are following constitutional law or even uh, governors and presidents that are dictating as dictators with executive orders, Mm -hmm. which they don't have the right to do. If people understand the executive branch, they don't have the right to do that, but they are anyway. Yeah. I mean, we've got government agencies, entities, and officials, not only not following the constitution, but not even following any laws and, you know, breaking law after law all over the place, federal laws, and nobody's holding them accountable. It's, it's, and that's when it dawned on me that it's a little bit scary because we always felt sort of safe in a nation of laws. There are laws to protect you. If somebody breaks the law, they go before the judge and they're held accountable. But it never dawned on me what happens when there's no political will to respect the law, to enforce the law, then the laws are meaningless and they don't protect you anymore. It's, you know, and that's kind of where we are, well, where we were because we're seeing the tide turn, right? Um, I saw when I went and looked at your advisory board that you've got Leslie Manukian, the brilliant Leslie Manukian. She's so fantastic. We've had her on this show. I've known her for years and she's fantastic. So yeah, and you know she's one of the one. She's the one who got masks off of airplanes. You know, it was it was her wonderful organization that that they got the the news and people on the planes were celebrating and filming themselves whipping off the mask. It was so awesome! Oh, and the other person. Okay, I'm kind of jumping ahead, but um, the other person you've got, Dr. Henry um, Ely. Yeah. Dr. Henry, he's one of my all time favorite people. Yeah, he's he's awesome. He's awesome, and we first connected probably two years ago, almost two and a half years ago, when we started doing all of the freedom fighting Mm -hmm. and looking at that point in time, because he was doing all of the research on the CDC and the death certificates and the protocols and how they broke the laws when that whole thing happened. So I had been connected to him and, and uh, Anna and I've been on his, his show with him. And it's just, He's just amazing. And and I love how God's bringing all these people together mm-hmm. to make this come to fruition. And it and it's fun to see to see what's happening. I love I love Henry. He's he's awesome. He's awesome. Yeah. And everything he's still working on and the lawsuit that's still going on out of Oregon with his uh I think it's a senator and a representative. This that lawsuit's still alive. So it's it's really cool. There's some great people and even people 
that are behind the scenes that are not on the advisory board, there's a lot of people that are helping. There's yeah. a, there's a lot of people helping. And it's so what Freedom Healthcare is, is we're actually a nonprofit and we're a ministry and our ministry is healthcare. Mm. So we looked at the best way to form this so that we can go back into the private, take back our rights. God gives us our inalienable rights. We have common law rights. We're protected under the Constitution. But we don't want the overstepping of government anymore into our lives. They've overstepped their boundaries in just about everything, and they're not stopping. They're not stopping. So we're cre- we've created a, a private membership ministerial association. And as a ministry, so we run like a church, so everything we do is based on donations. That's the biggest thing people can help us with to get each of the phases up and going is donations, and then they become self-sufficient. But mm. it's, it's really cool. Each of the pieces of information that God would give me different words or the things that had happened. So mm-hmm. like phase one is telehealth. Phase two will be uh, direct primary care clinics and urgent care fusions. Phase three will be micro hospitals. And phase four will be educational centers and more than that. And when all of the medical professionals were... Um, have getting this, you know, getting the shot demanded upon them from their, from the hospitals. I had so many calls and emails from student nurses and they were like, what do we, you know, what do we do? We can't finish school. We need our clinicals. We don't want to take the shot. We have to take it to finish school <clears throat> and me not having a medical background. I said, well, I don't even know what to tell you. Have you asked your Dean? Like, can you do your clinical somewhere else? Are there ways around this? You guys need to get creative and figure this out. And we lost so many good nurses that were in the system, but they chose to stand. They gave up their dream and their heart's desire to be a nurse or another medical professional. And we lost them. I thought, we're going to need new nursing schools. We're going to have, we're going to need new educational centers. We're going to need new research. We're going to need all sorts of things that are, new we're we're stepping parallel mm-hmm. and creating the new systems alongside as these fall will be ready for people oh it's so exciting i want to back up just a little bit and i want to go through each stage that you named i they're all very exciting to me so telehealth we're, we're that's where you're starting because that's where you can gear up the quickest and i think we all have a familiarity what that is um now, right now, is that going? The, uh, the telehealth will be the first full phase. Right now, we have a pre-core phase. Um, we have information, content, uh, risk assessments. There's something else I'll tell you about. Those are part of the pre-core phase. So it's $33 a month for people to join that. That will help us with membership to get people into the system and start raising money toward the telehealth piece. So there's something that they actually get as members. And then, so the telehealth is first. Um, next- and um, my qu- uh, question will be uh, Freedom Healthcare, is it going to be nationwide? Will everybody in all 50 states be able to use this telehealth? Yes. Fantastic. Okay. Yes. Yeah. It'll be everywhere. Um, the direct primary care clinics and urgent care fusion. Explain be, what, what's ur- urgent care fusion. So a, a lot of times when, when we were having some of our roundtables with some of our practitioners in Arizona, um, 
I had a lot of conversations with one of the ER doctors that we have in the background. She's an ER doctor for 25 years. And since this is going to be a private membership association and what's actually done in the emergency room, I asked her, I said, could you basically do other than maybe a heart attack or a really bad car wreck? Could, if you had the equipment in the clinics, could you basically do everything that you do in the emergency room in a clinic setting? She was like, yes. So we want to beef up the clinics so they become like an urgent care. So they can come in. It's more like a mini emergency room as part of the clinic. So that's where some will actually be a fusion between just a direct primary care clinic and the urgent care component that's part together. And would that be member only, but could you join on the spot? I'm bleeding, patch me up. I want to join you kind of thing. (laughs) Yes. Yes. So we will, you know, this is completely private. We are a family. We are taking care of our family. The membership is a family. So we won't take 911 calls. We're not going to deal with the government. That, That piece is not going to be involved. So yes, people could join on the spot and get care. So that is the possibility. And uh, phase three is micro hospital. So when God first put that in my head, I'm like, I don't even know what that is. Like, like what is that? So we're going to have specialty small hospitals. So we have, let's, for an example, let's say um, uh, a birthing center and a NICU or Mm -hmm. a cardiac hospital. So they would be small hospitals, you know, maybe 10, 20 beds, but if it depends on the care that that person needs. So they'd be more specialized based on what the care is. Mm-hmm. And then phase four will be education centers, research, um, functional medicine, nutrition. I had one of the uh, shows I was on, I had a, a, a dean professor reach out from one of the universities in the Midwest saying, you know, I heard you on this one show and we want to, he goes, we're trying to keep it kind of on the down low, but we would like to start a nature-based PA school. Can we partner with you when we're up and going? And I'm like, absolutely. Cause we're going to need feeders. We're going to need the people that are being taught nature-based uh, healthcare coming into the system because right now everybody is still being tra- trained by the or the majority, the Rockefeller Rothschilds, you know, yeah, yeah, big pharma push uh, physicians that are coming out, and all they're looking at is, well, you have a symptom, I'm going to give you a pill. We don't want to be part of the sick system anymore. We want to create a new standard of health. The whole point is finding out what those root causes are mm-hmm. in our body. What are the issues that are going on? Find that. And help people get back to a place of total health, focused spirit, mind, body. And this is something, even this has been backwards when we've heard about body, mind, spirit all these years. There was one day I was thinking about just a couple, maybe three months ago, and God's like, that's backwards. I'm like, I don't understand. Well, all of our healing, true healing comes through us spiritually, which affects our mind, which affects our body. So we need to be looking at the whole person to be healed completely on each of these levels. So it's, this is, this is a shift. This isn't what we've had in any way, shape or form 
in any kind of healthcare in the past. It's been a sick system to get to a place of health maintenance and people. I, I, I so love this. It's, it's so exciting. Um, the, the micro hospital idea it makes so much sense to me. Now, maybe some economists will tell me otherwise, but to me, instead of buying the most expensive real estate and putting up a massive building, you know, how much of your healthcare bill, you go in the hospital and get a $250,000 bill for two or three days. How much of that went to your healthcare? Very, very little. The rest, right? 20, like twenty percent. Yeah, paying the mortgage and I mean everything on this this massive, right? But if you have in in your community these smaller units without the massive overhead that specialize in what you need, it can be done much more intimate, person focused, nature focused. I love that. And the other thing, um, you know, during uh, my pops um, last years. Um, on earth, he spent way too much time in noisy hospitals. And I, I sat there thinking about all the things like if a, if a perfectly healthy person checked into the hospital and stayed for a week, they would leave needing hospital care, well, medical care, because the worst place you get the worst food, they don't let you sleep, they come poking and prodding, they give you drugs with a ton of side effects. Um, Nothing about it is conducive to well-being or health. And I started envisioning things like, I hadn't thought of micro hospitals and all this, who knew all this was coming. I was envisioning cones of like silence that come down from the ceiling around the patient. And within this, you would have, you could choose what gentle music to swirl around you and it would block out all the beep, 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 beeps. And you, and you know, if you sense that you could have healing lavender and essential oils, you know, if you weren't allergic to those, whatever. And, and then, and then the food, the, the food budget would be massive and it would be tailored to you. So you would be getting bone broth and, you know, steamed vegetables and, um, and congees and all the wonderful healing foods. Right. And the whole thing would be so, I mean, people would, would be faking illnesses so they could have a week stay at the hospital (laughs) because it would be like a spa. Right. Think how much healthier People would emerge, um, and just the attitudes would be so. Anyway, I don't, I don't know, going to be able to, but you know, I would hope that these new micro hospitals would be set up with a much more organic, nurturing feel to yeah. the space. Yeah, and yeah, and you're right on, and and it's fun to think about that piece because the food's a huge piece, but also the process itself. Because I think I was one of our. Uh, uh, medical professionals in the background. It's like, how long do, do the doctors get to spend with their patient? Well, it's like 17 seconds before they start telling them, I'm just going to give you these drugs. They get like five, they get like five minutes and, you know, do the paperwork and send you on their way. No one is looking at the person. No one is trying to find out what's going on because that's not the agenda. They just need to make money off the drugs we're going to give you. It's mm-hmm. just so messed up. So we need to shift it. We need to reset the access back to a place of actual health. God gives us a perfect immune system. We need to get back to that place of what does total body health look like? And this isn't going to be for everybody because some people are going to stay in the system. They've been on drugs for 20, 30 years and and they're hooked on them and they don't see the benefit. Mm -hmm. But this is an adult relationship 
This is an adult with an adult. A doctor, you're not going to come in and have a doctor just tell you what to do. You have to be engaged. You have to want to change your health and do something. Mm-hmm. And it was fun because I was having this conversation with Thomas, who's going to be your, your next guest. And we were talking about his process and, and how we're integrating it and stuff. And I'm just like, he's like, Julie, if, if people do these things that we're going to actually be doing, he goes, we're not going to need doctors anymore. And I'm like, that's the whole point. <laughs> right. And, point. And, and that's why it's built upon because the, the same doctor that you and I both met up in Johnson City, Tennessee, um, he's got such a service already. He's got this concierge type service and uh, he, he doesn't charge much per month. I think it's like $85 a month to belong. And he says he only makes money if you never come see him. So his goal is to keep you healthy because if you see him too, and you know, you do have to pay, you know, for different things as you see him, but he really only makes money when he's got a lot of very healthy people in his practice. And so his goal is to keep you healthy. And he does Saturday workshops, teaching people about exercise and yoga and nutrition and everything to do what he can to keep his, his patients healthy. And he was a delight to listen to. Wasn't he funny? Yeah. He was Um, so much fun. He was so much fun. Yeah. Yeah. So that's, that's the whole point. And even we had a a, a conference call last night with our, our protocol and concierge team and the processes that are getting created for our member patients that'll be coming in is there will be someone with you through your journey. You don't just come in into the actual just, you know, onboarding, become a member, you know, you get triage, what are your needs? But there is going to be a concierge advocate that walks through this journey with you that's going to check in on you, that, that you're going to have someone there along the way, should you want the help or should you need the help as well. Are you saying... There's going to be continuity of care from beginning to end. It's not, you know, oh, I can't tell you how many times, you know, when Pop was in the hospital, it'd be the changing of the shift and it'd be like that big weekly shift because, you know, no, all new faces or, you know, and so we would listen to what was being said and they come, the new people come in the room and like, wait a minute, you need to know this, this, and this, and this, because, and then when you've got the continuity of care, you develop a relationship. And it seems like they intentionally structure it now. So you never bond with a patient. You're not there long enough. You don't truly know them. And that's where mistakes can happen because the people are commoditized. It's just a patient. It's it's not, it's not Steve who we know and we've laughed with and we know who his grandkids are kind of thing. Right. So continuity of care by having somebody in that practice, follow your care and understand what you've been through. Right. And help that's beautiful. You. Yeah. And help you with those pieces. And it's our job as humans to love one another. So we're here to take care of people in whatever that form looks like having those conversations, checking in with them quarterly. <clears throat> we're going to be putting together a, a pre-hospital admittance until we have the hospitals up and going paperwork based on patients' rights so that when they go into the hospital, if they have to go in, they're going to have a solid batch of paperwork to tell the doctor or the hospital, this is what I want. This is what I will allow. If you do any of this, here's the legal ramifications. And these are my rights as a human being. Mm -hmm. And I expect you to do this for me. If I'm coming in here to use your services, this is what I expect. 
And the the other fun thing that that's happening is we've created um, a pure blood ministry. And we realize the issues with the blood banks right now with the Red Cross and what's actually happening with people's blood mm-hmm. is we will start collecting um, people that want to be a part of it in a completely anonymous database. And should they have a surgery or should they end up having uh, a car accident, we will be able to connect people within with the same blood type get it tested within maybe a 50 mile radius and have them work together to be able to donate blood. So there's, there's a lot of pieces that we need to be thinking about. Mm-hmm. Even when we were at uh, the CHD conference in Knoxville mm-hmm. and I was talking with Dr. Corey and he spoke a lot about, you know, the medical journals and journals and the information that had been taken out and being removed. And I've had multiple conversations with people about how the truth isn't in there. Mm-hmm. And I was talking to him going, okay, we're going to need a new site for truth and information and in medical journals because the AMA and all the other ones do not have the truth anymore. Yeah. So every, everything's been corrupted at every level. We have to create new. Mm-hmm. We, just, we just have to create new. So we're looking at all of the things that we can help people as we move forward, running parallel to the existing system. Yeah, that's wonderful. And a couple of years ago, even before COVID, a friend of mine, Dr. James Lyons-Weiler, I don't know if you've heard of him yet, um, research scientist, and it's funded by and for the people. He did start his own journal, and forgive me, I can't remember the name of the journal off the top of my head, but um, it's related to his research or organization, IPAC, and it's IPAK, IPACknowledge.org. And he also has an online university IPAC, IPAK uh, edu.org. And it's, it's really for the people and it's taught by top doctors and science. I think Dr. Corey's leading a class there. Um, and it covers everything you really need to know, all the things that you're talking about, um, all aspects of health, um, health law, uh, um, I can't even think right now what it is, but there's just, you know, it just covers all the gamut of what you really need to. And it's and it's so affordable. It's priced so that every average person can go and learn and be empowered with that knowledge so they can't be taken advantage of. It's fantastic. That's yeah. awesome. You'll have to connect me with him so yes. that I can chat with him more about what we're doing and whatever kind of symbiotic relationship, because this is going to be everybody working together to make this happen and make it possible. I'm writing myself a note right now to connect (laughs) Julie. We call him Jack. Connect Julie and Jack. Perfect. There we go. I pack and see what's in there. I wrote that down. Yeah. Yeah. And he'll probably want you to be a guest on his one of his many podcasts that he does too. So (laughs) all of our lives are intersecting. I love that. I love the overlap. Yeah. Yeah, It's so cool. And I I think it's interesting. I mean, there was a lot of stuff going on in Arizona, but since I moved here um, four months ago, there's been so many connections like, okay, Mm -hmm. God, I thought you brought me here for one reason, but maybe there's another reason. And there's just been a lot of really good connections, like meeting you and Denise and Bob from Genesis and just, you know, each of these little pieces of connections. Yeah. And it's really fun to see God moving the chess pieces together and bringing people together to have something new happen. I had, I had, mm-hmm. uh, was having a conversation today with someone we were wrapping like hundreds of 
presence at church for kids that were going to end up going out. And we're just talking about all this stuff. And she goes, she goes, well, what do you see in the future that's positive? (laughs) Because we have all this stuff going on. And I said, you know what? I said, you know, for those of us that are believers, we know we're well into revelation. We're watching what's happening actually happen. But I'm like, even though there's a lot of yucky stuff that's going on right now, there's some exciting things. I mean, there's Mm -hmm. some really exciting things happening and we get to be here for a reason to go through Mm -hmm. this and to see what God ends up doing through this time. So even though it may be kind of yucky with what's happening and and it's going to get worse, it's, it's pretty exciting that there's a lot of cool things happening. Uh, Oh, I so agree. And you know, one of the terms I use is I consider the world to be in a healing crisis right now. You know, when you, you get sick and you, you get the high fever and there's that moment of time when you're ill, where you're not sure which way, if you're going to overcome or succumb right to it. And it's that healing crisis moment. Your body needs to pass through it. Your, your immune system's learning. Good things are happening, but it can be at that tipping point. And if you survive it, you come through stronger than ever with this um, robust um, immune system, robust health on the other side of this. That's what we're experiencing now is this healing crisis of the planet. All of us figuring out, um, you know, what freedom means, what humanity means, what brotherhood means, what it means to sacrifice in order to stand in your truth and, and be ethical and moral. And, and it's hard. You have to give up a lot. I've been in a bubble. I've been so blessed that I'm in a bubble because I don't have a job. I volunteer for things. So I got nothing to lose. Right. Um, so I, I know that I'm really lucky and I tell a lot of people to do brave things that I myself am not faced to do, but it's so exciting because more people who do them, the more they stand up. I really feel like we've, we're, we're really close to that peak, the money behind pushing the, the global narrative is increasing substantially. And the clampdown, especially in certain states, mm-hmm. is getting bigger and bigger. But within yeah. that, the monster reveals itself more and more and more people wake yeah. up and stand up. They say, OK, I'm done. I'm done hiding right. in the corner. I'm done keeping my little place safe because they realize they can't keep it safe. Right. You know, they're, they're coming after everybody. And, yeah. and yeah. that's what telling people is, you know, I had this one lady who didn't want to put uh, her name on one of the documents that was going to the governor's office because we had sorts of notices and affidavits that were being sent and, you know, thousands of things happening. And I said, you're not willing to put your name on this. I said, if this doesn't work, and America falls and, and you have to, and your grandkids come to you as we've turned into a socialist and communist nation. Grandma, mm-hmm. what did you do for me during this time? This is, this is it for people. They, they, they have to stand up at this point because yeah. we're fighting for our kids and grandkids. We're yeah. fighting for the Republic. We're fighting for the future of humanity. We're fighting for health. We're fighting for truth. We're fighting for what's right. People can't sit back anymore. If they're going to keep their blinders on, you know, yeah. go go take that shot. And you're going to be one of the ones I hear sirens around here all the time. I hear sirens all the time. There's no fires. So yeah. if you choose that, go ahead. Mm-hmm. But we have we have work to do. We have mm-hmm. work to do to help people. And it's time that people stand up, wake up and, and jump in because it's yeah. going to take a good majority to 
move all of this forward. Yeah, I, I heard an expression lately. Somebody famous said it. I, I heard it on something on Epoch or Epic Times. I, I never know how to pronounce it. Everybody pronounces it different. Um, but it was, you can vote your way into communism, but your grandchildren will have to shoot their way out. Yeah. So it's really easy to just by being inattentive and unwilling to stand up to to put your entire life and your children's lives and your grandchildren's lives in this really bad place. Um, and so, yeah, it's, it's a lot easier to speak out. Now, Vera Sharav, do you follow her at all? She was the woman who was in the Holocaust as a little girl. She was in one of the camps. Yes. Yes. And she speaks a lot. She's just so amazing. And she recently visited Nuremberg because it's the anniversary, like, of, of Nuremberg trials. And there were some graves there. Have you heard of the white rose? Um, there, so. there were, there were some, uh, uh, a little group of people in their early twenties, young people in Nazi Germany who knew every, it was wrong what was happening and they would print up flyers and, um, and hand out truth flyers. And they became known as the white rose. Um, they ended up being executed for having their heads cut off, for handing out this information. And she said, in the United States, it's still legal to hand out flyers and pamphlets. And if you're not speaking up now while it's illegal, yeah. you know, it's going to be too late. So while we do have freedom of speech, and and thank goodness Twitter is now free. Woo, that is just so amazing what's going on at Twitter. Wow. <laughs> yeah. So I'm going to show your... Um, show your website here so you can uh, tell us a little bit more about it. We're getting yes. um, toward the end of the program here. And I just want to make sure people can go find out, follow along. And, and if they're yes. able to support this to help it grow, it's that's so exciting. Yeah. Mm -hmm. That's the biggest thing to help people. You know, the website's uh, freedom-healthcare.us. Um, there's a lot of ways people can get involved. You know, number one, our biggest thing is being a ministry and a nonprofit. We will launch each phase and move forward with donations. Mm -hmm. So donations and reoccurring donations, that's a biggie. Um, they can join the primary core level membership and there's specialized information that they get with that. We have some affiliates. Um, there's discounts on specific products. We look at things specifically that are health focused. Um, they can become a member of the Pure Blood Ministry. Uh, they people can and also. I, I think most. I think most people understand. You know, maybe who listen to my show that it's Pure Blood, but explain what you mean by that because it's it's co right now it's COVID nineteen shot specific. But as mRNA technology continues to expand, it's going to have to be any mRNA technology because that. Yeah. Right. And, and really, I look at it because we've had some of these conversations around what we're doing um, with the Pure Blood Ministry and what constitutes the word pure. Because if they listen to Judy Mikovits and all of her incredible knowledge, mm -hmm. they've been putting a lot of things into shots for decades. Yes, but I, yeah. this piece is more focused on the last three years because what they've okay. done with the mRNA and the extra stuff that we really don't even know what's in these shots mm -hmm. and what they're going to be doing in the future. That's kind of our time frame. If you haven't taken uh, the vaccines or the booster, 
then you can be part of this as a member with the potential of helping someone should they need it in a donation uh, type setting. So that's the biggest piece. There might be people may have had the flu shot or, you know, our kids got, you know, I didn't know when my girls were little that we shouldn't be having shots. You know, we've, we were all been lied to on a lot of different levels, but this is specific with, since we really don't know Mm -hmm. how bad these shots are, what's actually in them completely and what the long-term effects are. We're already seeing the the blood effects like virtually everywhere, what that possibly looks like. So this is helping people be proactive to be part of this, should they ever need it. Um, So there's different things that they get with that monthly membership, and then it will lead to phase one and the telehealth and the rest. If there's uh, like-minded practitioners that are out there, um, they can, or if they're leaving the system, there's a lot of people that are going, hey, how do we get involved? They can put in uh, applications and we'll keep that as we launch different areas. If there's cities and states or towns that really want to get involved and start building this in their area, it's it's this is a grassroots effort, just like we're doing with a lot of things across the country. This is by the people for the people. So it'll take a group in an area to launch a clinic. Now it'd be, it would be nice if we had, you know, someone with half a billion dollars go, here you go, here's a donation. Well, there's, you know, there's 10 clinics and a couple hospitals. That'd be awesome. And mm-hmm. we jump started, but this is going to be people for the people. So the donations are, are the biggest part. They can volunteer. Um, we need information on like-minded practitioners in the different cities and states so that we can start partnering with them and creating affiliate partnerships so we can be referring to them. Um, want to be talking to more churches, want to get the information out that we are also a ministry and how we're trying to help people. So people can volunteer. They explain can... to us. Um, I'm, I'm sorry, I keep interrupting you, but um, explain to us um, exactly what you mean by ministry. Right. Because this is a health ministry. But is it it, I'm assuming it's Christian based. Um, It's it's, it's an actual ministry. So we are a nonprofit ministry. We're an actual 5081CA, an actual nonprofit. We're protected under U.S. Code 5081CA. Um, When you look at some of the differences with uh, lawsuits that have happened over the years with churches, which are 501C3s, ones that are similar to ours, the 508s, the 508s have so much more protection and it's a private membership. So we are, people are inside the family. They are part of the membership with what we're doing. We, we stay and do um, as free people within the membership and we can have, you know, alternative practitioners. We can do things that aren't normally out in, you know, normal allopathic. We'll have naturopathic. There'll be alternatives. Yeah. There's technology that's been kept hidden from us. There's nature-based medicine that is actually healing. Plus we have, you know, God that literally heals all of us. Yeah. So, this- And will it be open to anybody of any faith? Um, it's, it's, it's a ministry, but it's not going to be denominational. It's, it's, that's, it's just how the ministry runs, but not who they don't exclude members. Okay. That's, that's very good. Yeah. What we've got. Yeah. We've got like one more minute he's going to start playing the music on us here. So tell us again. Oh my goodness, Julie. It's just been such a pleasure. I'm so glad that we've been brought together and our lives finally intersected away in the same state. 
Yes. And we'll be working a lot together. Um, it, it's a beautiful thing. So say the name of your website one more time. It's Freedom Healthcare. So people can go to www.freedom-healthcare.us. Please get involved. Please donate. Help us move this forward across the country. We even have other countries around the world interested. So this is going to be something that's going to go further than we expect. And God's in charge of it. That's fantastic. Julie Wentz, thank you so very much. And you know, we're going to take a break, but in our next hour, we have got Dr. Thomas J. Lewis, who knows Julie, and I didn't know that when I booked them on the show. He's also here in Tennessee, and he's with uh, another uh, group, and they all overlap. Well, you'll hear more when he comes on in a few minutes. You've been listening to an Informed Life Radio on 1150 AM KKNW and CHDTV. We'll be back soon. If you're looking for a publication that delivers honest takes and critical insights into the issues of our day, then look no further than The Flame Paper. The Flame Paper is written for the people, by the people, who aren't afraid to challenge a mainstream narrative, be it health care, voter fraud, political correctness, or even the one-world government. The Flame is full of timely articles, reports, and expert advice written by freedom-loving, truth-telling experts, journalists, and concerned citizens. To subscribe, go to theflameusa.com. During this unprecedented response to an infection outbreak, it has been made very clear that shutting down lives and businesses is not sustainable or repeatable. We've also learned that it's unnecessary. Treatments exist and always exist. For 99% of the population, nutrients and oxidative therapies that support the immune system and improve symptoms are always available to address viral infections. For the less than 1% who need more, Inexpensive, unpatentable drugs can be added to the nutrient therapies to improve outcomes. It's time each and every one of us empower ourselves with this knowledge. We need not ever bring our lives to a halt again. We can both save lives and retain the liberty that nourishes us body and soul. Learn more at HealthyImmunityNow.org. That's HealthyImmunityNow.org. Informed Choice Washington is a nonprofit organization that advocates for healthy immunity, medical freedom, and fully informed medical consent. The right to make medical choices without coercion is fundamental to our civil liberties and a basic principle in all human rights declarations. To learn more, tune in each Friday from 3 to 5 p.m. to an Informed Life Radio and visit the website informedchoicewa.org. It's time to take a stand for medical freedom. Go to informedchoicewa.org today. We need a Welcome back to an Informed Life Radio on 1150 AM KKNW and CHD TV. That last hour was so much fun with Julie Wentz. I, it's just so exciting to talk about hope, healing, and a way forward. And we're going to continue that conversation in the second hour because we are bringing on Dr. Thomas J. Lewis, who Julie knows. And it's so fun, as I said in the last hour, I didn't realize when I was booking them that they knew each other. Um, Let's go ahead and bring on uh, Dr. Lewis here. Hey, there he is. (laughs) How are you doing, Bernadette? Good to see you again, neighbor. 
Yeah, neighbor, how much fun. So we met at the, well, you were actually attending the Weston Price Foundation Conference. Did you uh, attend yep. the CFD one as well? Yep. Yeah, you were there for both of them. And so we had some great conversations at the Children's Health Defense table. And um, and I was just so thrilled to hear what you were doing. It's that same path forward, a, a new health paradigm. Um, and now Julie is new, our, our last guest, Julie Wentz, is new to a lot of this. You know, COVID woke her up to a lot of things. And she just dove in there and used her business experience to really help move things in this direction. But you've been studying um, and in the whole art of healing for a while. So I would love for you to talk about your journey, your um, your experience that led you up to where you are today. Where did it begin for you? I'm happy to give you my backstory. So I, I got um, advanced degrees in science, chemistry at MIT, and then I went to the Harvard School of Public Health. Uh, those were good educations. My best education was at Little Worcester Polytechnic Institute, where I was taught how to think, um, not just produce things. But the most important thing is um, the, the tragedy in my life that propelled me here was the fact that my dad died at the age of 86 about 20 years ago of Alzheimer's disease. And my mother took care of him up to the very last. She was bruised and beaten by him, you know, because he just didn't, you know, he's like, you're an infant. But the year after he died, I met a clinician at Harvard Medical School, an ophthalmologist of all things, that was reversing people like my dad. He was an amazing doctor. See, the eye is an outcropping of the, of the brain. And he was treating people systemically. He was the only ophthalmologist in the world looking at the eye as a systemic, the diseases of eyes being systemic in nature. And it's well published, but very few people understand this. But he was reversing glaucoma. And this was like in the 80s. And then anecdotally, people would be coming back for an appointment and a loved one or even the individual says, hey, my memory's getting better. And he kind of institutionalized it. But when I met him, I said, the world is my oyster. But 20 years ago, I then learned, 19 years ago, I learned the world is not my oyster because nobody wants this. Mm. And uh, in 2011, 2012, Dr. Trump and I, Dr. Clement Trump, published, uh, we published my my first book, which is the textbook on Alzheimer's. It has the same name as Bredesen's book, The End of Alzheimer's, and then it's titled The Brain and Beyond, but uh, mine's more of a, a textbook. And I highlighted ghost, ghost writing and the corruption and dr drug approval and why you have so many medical errors from pass-ons and things like that. So I covered all these corruptions. And, and the most interesting one back then was probably the American Student Medical Association there was a student at Harvard Medical School that was listening to a faculty member and what the faculty member was saying wasn't congruent with what he had been reading elsewhere. And he formed this whole society and started grading medical schools based on their connect ties to um, industry, pharma. Ooh. Harvard Medical <laughs> School. Harvard Medical School received the big grade of F. Yeah. <laughs> so anyway, I, I studied under Dr. Trump, uh, ophthalmologist MD, and Dr. Tillman McCulley, the pioneer of the homocysteine, who was thrown out of Harvard, blacklisted in 1969 for daring to eschew the cholesterol. He put forth the, the homocysteine theory. He became a Linus Pauling Award winner at the uh, Institute of Functional Medicine, but he was famously brought back to 
Harvard in 1998 in an article in the New York Times, and is still there at the age of 89, publishing on disease mechanisms prolifically, which hmm. kind of brings me to the point of um, what I'm doing today. I, I run a consultative practice for individuals and corporations and wellness. I have a number of doctors that I work with directly. So I have MDs, coaches, things like that. But what we've done based on the teachings of my mentors, Dr. Trump in particular, is we have built a, a new foundation. So like Richard Emerling and the wellness company want to redesign healthcare, but what they're doing is they're redesigning and bringing the real thesis is bring back primary care and these things the way they were intended to be, not the way they've morphed to be just a profit center. Yes. What I've done is I looked at things, you know, and I'll quote the CDC. Hopefully no one hangs up. Um, but <laughs> the CDC does for at one time in their uh, history said the right thing. And they said 90 percent of morbidity and cost and mortality is due to chronic diseases. And mm. our system is a, a is a sick care system. Mm -hmm. It really means mm -hmm. it's an acute care system. So even at its best, the existing healthcare system only covers 10% of the misery and cost in, incurred by our individuals. So what, what Dr. Trump, he would always say the most simple things to me, and I'd have to interpret them because they were always profound. He said, Tom, the only thing that really matters is mortality. And I had to think of a French Canadian, brilliant guy, genius. And I said, what do you mean? And I didn't have to repeat it back to him. I said, what he means is the risk of dying young. And so then I, I did an exhaustive search of reference ranges for laboratories and realized they're all over the board. They're not science-based, they're population-based. And so what um, I did is I did a three-year exhaustive uh, search in the literature and uh, data analytics and statistics on them and came up with a whole new scale for how labs should be interpreted. So um, it, this is really important here. There's a lot of confusion um, and a lot of manipulation out there with the types of uh, information and how it's used. So you're, you said population level. Um, so where my brain goes is years ago, um, the former chief science officer out in Washington state, we were having a conversation and because, you know, we're always talking about, um, people being injured, the science isn't there, blah, blah, blah. And public health is pushing this, you know, and, but what about the people who can't handle that product or whatever? And she said, well, public health policy is set at the population level. And individual health is supposed to be set and the decisions made at the individual level. Okay. But, and what I said, the problem is, is public health spends a lot of money pushing population level policies and information at doctors telling them you have to apply this policy to every patient. Yes. One size, one size, one size fits all. Right. And then, and then what I'm doing it's completely consistent with that because the the ranges of normal are so wide. People on one end are really, you know, uh, can be very healthy, but on the other end, be very sick. But they're both considered normal. That, that's yeah. that's sort of the the uh, impetus of impetus of what I'm doing. So let me just give you an example. And this was published in Harvard's journal um, 
in 2005. So the Women's Health Initiative, good study. There are good studies out there still if you know what you're looking for and how to read the data. And you got to read the whole paper and, and then the uh, appendices. Otherwise, you'll miss the point. Yeah, what you is- don't read the beginning or the end because that's written so it can get published, right? No, Often. That's, that's exactly true. I mean, uh, <laughs> yeah. Malcolm, Malcolm Kendrich wrote a, a, an article on a, a book, his doctoring data book on how the, the title of the, the book was, uh, the paper was Overweight and Obese and Early Mortality. And, you know, he um, actually showed that overweight people live longer than, than underweight people. So he just published it that way to get it in there. But the, the Women's Health Initiative, prospectively, looking forward, studied 72,000 women. And what they showed, it, so what they showed is they looked at white blood cell counts, the most basic thing, the uh, uh, amalgamation of five different innate and adapt, a little bit adaptive with lymphocytes immune markers and this is the most important marker that everybody should be looking at is your immune system peaked is it is it fighting something and so the reference ranges are all over the board but the standard we see is 3800 and low end and, and close to 11,000 on the other end so they looked at two groups of women one at 4700 and one at 6700 and followed them for five years and the women at in the 6700 range had twice the cardiovascular mortality death death in six years, but 6,700 in the in in the standard reference ranges that everybody's being evaluated on today is dead center in the middle of normal. Yet you you double your risk of dying of a fatal heart attack <clears throat> in six years. It's it's the biggest thing. So. I'm, you know, you, you know, I'm in the health freedom movement and I'm writing my uh, fifth and sixth books. I shamelessly have a cover here. I have yeah. a Hold hard up. copy of the It's newspaper. okay. <laughs> but, well, I have to get back here, but yeah. the, the title of the book is Health Freedom Lost, okay? Yeah. And then, you know, volume one, I have a two volume set, is Eroding Health Freedom. And, and where can so, people find those books if they want to find those books? So they're almost published, but not quite. But okay. they'll be on my website. <laughs> In different different ways i'm finishing up volume two is restoring health freedom and, okay. and the point of my book is that the pandemic was completely avoidable if we haven't been set up for a hundred or more years to become un- un- unhealthy yeah so if we have a as a population we're healthier the the sars-cov-2 virus would have been you know like a cold and there's no emergency youth authorization there's no pandemic there's no jab there's none of this stuff and so we have a responsibility on our own. But the thing is, the medical system is telling you that, you know, they're not informing you whether you're healthy or how healthy you are. So in their system, you're basically only healthy or sick. But the concept we have developed and we put everybody on this continuum is we call it, where do you reside on the health disease continuum? Mm-hmm. You know, some people have minor symptoms that erupt once in a while. They're not at optimal in the health disease continuum because they can easily erupt and go over some artificial line of symptomology or sometimes, you know, we'll call it disease. So that's what we do in our program is we help people understand what true optimal health is Mm -hmm. and how to get there. And then since all our biomarkers are based on an early mortality endpoint, we amalgamate it into a score that we call your chronic disease temperature, Like, like your internal temperature, but it's a biomarker panel temperature based on a bunch of 
bunch of uh, markers. And you always get more precision when you use more markers. So our score creates quite a deal, quite a great level of precision for individuality, to your point, Bernadette. And then it's very easy for the individual, most of whom don't understand labs and never get explained by their doctors, to follow their progress because we give you a single number. And of course, we boil it down in extraordinary detail. I have a COVID panel that was very popular and still is when I was on with uh, Dr. McCola. And uh, that, that report that we give is a 40-page uh, color-coded report so you can see exactly where you're, you are in all kinds of biomarkers. But this, this is what we need. Labs are foundational. They're objective. And they tell the truth. You know, there's a, a book called Your, Your Blood Doesn't Lie. And mm -hmm. so it's, it's, it's a precision, personalized, you know, P4 approach to mm -hmm. helping people understand their health. If you, if, you know, how, many, how many of us have gone to a doctor and gotten the, the cold shoulder or told it's all in our head? It's mm -hmm. because the doctors don't know how to interpret labs anymore. They've been using reference ranges. And so they look at them and, and really you look at that they're unremarkable, but the person is suffering. Mm -hmm. And so the only conclusion they can draw, because there's nothing in the labs, ah, it's all in your head. And we get that over and over and over again. And it's just um, inappropriate. So, so my labs are designed <laughs> to ferret out smoldering disease, smoldering, chronic, 90% of disease. Mm. Anywhere in the continuum. I don't care if you have late stage Alzheimer's and myself and my partner, Dr. Carter, are doing a fairly good job consistently helping people improve their their cognitive performance too. You know, I just want to optimize my health. And is it optimal or not? I don't know. I can't tell from these gross labs. So we we work on the entire mm -hmm. continuum of spectrum, just like our just like our program is where are you on the health disease continuum. Yeah, and we've I've had on this program some awesome doctors and last week we had uh Dr. Uh Ted Fogarty at an HBOT. He was live from an HBOT clinic. So is, is hyperbarics um, something that you have done? They actually talk about, they've done a lot of work with like dementia and Alzheimer's in reversing it. And this one woman in, uh, in particular, they tell the story of this, um, the healthcare place that she was living, one of those um why am I, I'm sorry, I'm struggling for the right word, but you know, one of the facilities, if you've got dementia, that's where there you live. Right? There you go, right. Um, after, I forget how many 40 or so rounds of, of hyperbaric treatment, she was so well, they needed to discharge her so she could go home. She started driving again and they had never yeah. discharged anybody before. So they had to make up all new paperwork so this woman could go home. Um, yeah. so if you're not active with that, I do, I can hook you up with some of the, the great hyperbaric work that's being done. Um, and a lot of the, um, these doctors also are very excited about glutathione, um, and the building blocks of glutathione. Is that something, um, well, you know, the, 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 our main thesis, okay. It's very simple. Disease is generally something stealing electrons and health is providing electrons, okay? And the number mm. one thing that does that in, in most chronic conditions are subacute infections, chronic infections. They are electron stealers. So what does hyperbaric oxygen do? It provides reactive oxygen, a higher pressure of reactive oxygen species, just like your 
antibodies do, and just like the neutrophils part of your white blood cell count does. It's an oxidative process. So it's a little, it may sound contrary. So your, your immune system does very tactical targeted oxidation of non-human cells, okay? Pathogens, invaders. Whereas, you know, oxidation, um, you don't want oxidation to affect your Krebs cycle. That's what glutathione, the, the called the master antioxidant, but it's really a very specific antioxidant to keep electrons flowing through your your uh, mitochondria and give you energy. But the subacute infections, I, I have a very dear colleague, uh, MD, PhD in Switzerland, Judith McClough, published a paper in 1993 called Alzheimer's Aspiroketosis. And aspirochete is just a type of bacteria, uh, pathogen, spirochetes. That's why there's a high uh, likelihood of people with root canals, potentially if they don't take care of them, getting memory disorders. But Lyme disease, it, you know, Borrelia burgdorferi is a spirochete. Spirochete's a class. So hyperbaric oxygen will knock these things down. Um, things like uh, methylene blue will do that. Extracorporeal ozone. I, um, I well, could you explain a little bit more about methylene blue? Because the, the FLCCC doctors have been talking about methylene blue, and it's something that's relatively yeah, we, new to me. Can you explain what that is? I have, a, I have a great clinician team out of Asheville, North Carolina. Anybody wants that therapy, we can get it done for you. But the beautiful, let me first say the beautiful thing about methylene blue in a little preamble is that the problem with hyperbaric oxygen, when it doesn't work, okay, and extracorporeal ozone is you're only getting an occasional treatment. Okay, so acute disease like the flu, you get a massive load, your immune system responds to it, or you get antibiotics or some type or hyperbaric oxygen or ozone, and you wipe it out. But so I call that fighting the red coats. Okay, but chronic stealth infections are mm. very different, they can morph into multiple phases. So let me give you an example herpes zoster, you have shingles matriculate 50 years later, there's mm -hmm. almost no organism that cannot hide from the immune system, especially these chronic ones. So they can crop up, they can come out tactically and, and things like that. So usually to deal with really to reverse someone in Alzheimer's, not just to get short-term results, you have to treat long-term, test for and treat long for these things. So unless you have an ozone system at home or something like that, or you know, you know, you can do insufflation and, and various things, but you probably don't get a high enough dose. So Methylene blue, you can get infusions, but you also can do sublingual treatment at home. And that's what makes it very dramatic. But basically, methylene blue, the oldest pharmaceutical, was it um, Paul Ehrlich. He wasn't the inventor, but he, a, a German scientist, German chemist. So it is, it absorbs in the, in the uh, visible light at 605 nanometers for all you chemistry fans out there. But the point is, it's a photodynamic substance. And it produces both vacancies, so oxidative and reductive capabilities. And so it can kill pathogens, but also heal by providing electrons. So, you know, in our body, so it's a, it's, it, it absorbs light. And so what you have is, um, you know, we have every, every molecule inter interacts with light to some degree, including every physiological molecule. But then we have chromophores and cytochromes, chrome light, cyto. Um, cell, you know, like glutathione is, gives up an electron, okay? But then 
how does it get back an, an electron so it can do it again? We don't just have to be pouring our bodies full of glutathione. Mm -hmm. Light actually hits uh, cytochrome C oxidase and other chromophores, donates an electron, you get energy from the light, light is energy, and you get that electron which interacts with melatonin and, and, uh, and glutathione and brings it back to the reuse form so it can, it can do its work over and over again. So light therapy, I'm big on, on light therapy, and I, I have probably the least expensive light therapy system in the world. And then uh, PEMF, I think, is, is somewhat, uh, is, is an outstanding healing modality because the magnetic field, if you have the right intensity, most of the ones you get are inadequate. You know, the, the Beamer, for example, is one Gauss, and we're experiencing 0.7 Gauss just from magnetic field of Earth. But the, the magnetic field can penetrate deep into tissue. It's not absorbed. And perpendicularly, it creates an electric current. So it's actually feeding electrons for healing into your body. Maybe it sounds a little technical, but I think the whole idea is that this isn't complicated. Things give electrons, that's healing. Things take away electrons, that's killing. And the only caveat, but it's still true, is that our immune system, particularly our innate immune system and our adaptive immune system, antibodies, do that exact same process on the killing side, but not to our own tissue. And, and that's really all health is. And then we measure inflammatory markers. That's just a sign that cells in our body have lost electrons, uh, so they've been oxidized and they're struggling. And that will manifest as inflammatory markers, C-reactive protein, fibrinogen. White blood cell counts go up when you have infection. It's all, it's all very, I, I like, my mentor always used to say, what I do is actually very simple. He just reversed, he was reversing Alzheimer's before anybody else in the world, but it was simple because he understood how to do it. And mechanistically, it's not that complicated. It, it seems like the things that uh, when I bring people on and they begin to talk about them, it all gives, it all is very respectful of the fact that we are live creatures on the planet made of food, air, water, sunshine all of these mm -hmm. different forms of energy that that is creation and when we're when we're sick and we're out of balance we can utilize you know it, it's something among all those components that we're out of balance for well, we're not the, getting it you know those are the primary four components you know and i i'm just going through my other man my new volume two manuscript and i was just reading from the health reformer 1871 oh you pale sickly ones go out into the sun yeah. and sprout just like a plant when the sun <laughs> hits yeah. on the, you know, I'll just expand it a little bit. The chlorophyll molecule that has magnesium in the center, if we didn't have that yeah. magnesium and chlorophyll, there'd be no life. But so the basic things are clean water, getting sunshine. Sunshine came first, um, mm -hmm. you know, bare feet for grounding yes. and, then, and then good food. You do those four things consistently and stay away from, human-made synthetic things. And, yeah. you know, so Paul Clayton is a colleague of mine at Oxford, and he wrote a series of articles called How the Mid-Victorians Lived, Ate, and Died. They lived in, um, it was 1870. There was this period of time of particularly good longevity. And, you know, we all say, okay, that they only lived till 40. Well, you know, in 1840 in the United States, 40, 42% of children didn't make it to age six. So they, they were born... And if you bake those into longevity statistics, you know, so these longevity statistics are red herring. You know, John Adams lived to 90, Ben Franklin, portly Ben Franklin, 84, 
uh, George Washington in 76, uh, 67, but he had bad teeth, you know. <laughs> but what Clayton showed, the mid-Victorians, you know, heating with coal, wood, smoky environment, not a lot of, you know, local growers, they raise their own chickens and vegetables. And, you know, uh, I'll explain why that went awry just shortly thereafter. But they lived, when you start at age six and compare statistics on Brits to Brits today, they lived longer than Brits do today, and they had one-tenth of degenerative diseases. Not a bad deal. Not a good deal for Pfizer because that's going to cut their profits by 90 yeah. or 95%. So Yeah, and and what was the main reason for child mortality being so high in, oh, in that infectious. time period? Infectious you know, disease? The number one C. Here's another book that everybody should read if they're really interested in health is Plague Time by Paul Ewald. But basically, we do vaccines, we do antibiotics. The number one thing that curbed pandemics was hygiene. It's recognizing like the, um, the, 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 the Robert, uh, not Frost. I'm oh, not. It, it, there, there's a, a 19 uh, or year 2000 um, publication in Pediatric Journal where they looked at it. Um, at history, and it was 90 some percent of the mortality to all infectious disease plummeted prior to antibiotics and vaccines. Oh, yeah. Be exactly what you're talking about because of um, better access to clean water, you know, flushable yeah. toilets, and and better nutrition because the the tin can was invented. The, right. the refrigerated collection point, Bernadette. You know, in terms yeah. of. Uh, in terms of 1880, 1890, uh, steam engines and ships being able to carry large cargo and canning yeah. that allowed the So the mid-Victorians were poor. There were poor people lifting 20 tons of soil a day to build British infrastructure. And then yeah. suddenly they didn't have to go home and labor with their gardens and whatnot. They were eating canned food. So that's what uh, caused it to plummet. But, well, know, it could it cause was, it to plummet, but in in some in some respects, it allowed yeah. there there were some some aspects that were helpful because you weren't starving. You did have access to nutrition longer because of understanding how to properly store food for the yeah. winter and um, things like that. But yeah, it and it, so it wasn't um, all of these pharmaceutical things no, that saved I, us. I, I, it was, um, you know, yeah. Snow discovered the well with uh, cholera. And that stopped, just not going to that well, stopped the cholera uh, pandemic. Okay? Oh, wow. Pandemic yeah. In England. Yeah. You know, it, it, it's, it's, simple, it's simple things like this that matter. I did an analysis in, in the book I'm writing right now on the tuberculosis curve. Mm -hmm. Okay. And tuberculosis in 1900 was a very, 1860 was very high. And then it started dropping precipitously. And mm -hmm. then. In 1950, let's say, antibiotics became available and the, and the vaccine became available around, let's say, around 1960, roughly. And they were barely blips on the downward curve. Right. They were yeah. barely blips. They had, you know, minuscule, minuscule. That's why barrier immunity is better than any other treatment if you, in terms of prevention. You know, obviously, you're good health. But when I'm talking about an actual intervention, mm -hmm. you know, cleaning, cleaning up your barriers is... Uh, you know, and what Jack Cruz would say, don't don't clean up your barriers, go to Mexico, get some sunshine and go in the ocean. You'll get that nice salt water up your yeah. nose. You don't have to worry about it. <laughs> and yeah. It'll be a lot more fun. Exactly. And you know what? I, I, I think we've got Elon Musk bought Twitter and set Twitter free and we're, we're learning things. And um, 
Governor DeSantis down in Florida is now looking, you know, calling for a grand jury investigation into COVID. And, and oh, you know, so I'm really having a lot of hope that amazing things are, are really beginning to bubble up and happen. And I envision a day where the lead person to guide the nation when some new infectious disease comes along would step up to the podium and say, Nobody freak out. Don't worry. We understand the immune system. I want you all, when you can, go get your vitamin D levels checked and make sure that you've got plenty of D. Make sure you've got C and zinc on hand. Consult your, your own trusted healthcare practitioner about what you need. He doesn't need to, you know, dose from the podium. Um, and get fresh air. You know, if you were near body water, go swimming, get fresh air, go for walks, go play in the parks. I mean, Fauci did the opposite. The exact opposite of what would lead to health. People were arrested canoeing by themselves out in the ocean. I mean, my my um, state park six miles from my house, mountain biking, horseback riding, all that was shut down, and I just went. And, I just went after dark with my lights. <laughs> yeah, it's, know, it was just my 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 goal yeah. in life. It, you know, for the rest of my life, and it might take longer. Is you know, functional doctors, integrative doctors. They came. They they're rebels. They left. They took risks. They left, but now um, uh, the gentleman who's the world expert on PEMF said we were talking about herding cats. He said getting functional doctors. And this is right from Ron Platts, the head of the A4M, the founder. Is herding uh, these docs is like herding feral cats. Okay? <laughs> and so one of my goals is because I've talked to the tops of the head people at IFM, A4M, Masculine Functional Forum. None of them really. Not that they don't have the vision, but they haven't figured out how to orchestrate. So the the big thing that that traditional doctors do, or that not doctors, but the traditional doctor representatives and associations say, hmm, that functional or integrative outcome was interesting, but it's anecdotal, so we're not going to use it. Oh, and, and they you love that. Can, you can all use the randomized clinical clinical trial system, but what I'm trying to educate the integrative world on is we need to create not a delivery platform. We first have to create the cornerstone of standards for how we operate and not rigid standards, but we have to have the, the tests in the middle. What, what I've developed is, you know, I have a simple slogan, risks, life risks beget processes, you know, physiological changes if they're bad. Okay, and we can measure those physiological changes with proper reference ranges very accurately. But if you don't take ameliorate them, then physiological changes turn into pathological changes. And the eye is the best place to measure that, by the way, because we can see tissue, we can see neurological tissue, we can see vessels. And then when pathological changes uh, progress enough, then we call that disease, okay? And so I've digitized risk assessments so I can see, I can look at labs, which I digitized, and then I can see the risks, relate them to the labs, and start creating stronger correlations between risky behavior. It's not just about smoking, not exercising, doing that. It's, it's a whole potpourri. In my opinion, the top two risks for everybody that are trying to be healthy is, number one, you are not what you eat. You are what you absorb. So, oh, you so, know, that's really an important one. Talk, expand on that one a little bit more. Well, you know, so so in our in our modern world, the 
One health complaint I get based on the risk survey I do is um, lack of energy. And number two is chronic pain. It is an energy. One and two are, are lack of energy. But the real driver of this is we have calories and nutrients. And calories run the furnace, but nutrients repairs everything. Mops up the damage from the burning, if you will, and, and repair. So there are very inadequate studies on absorption. Very inadequate. But I will guarantee you that if 60% of the people I work with have um, you know lack of energy, 90% have inadequate digestion. And the most difficult thing to extract out of food are the mineral micronutrients. And I measure that very accurately with a marker called the erythrocyte sedimentation rate, which is actually a measure of the strength of every cellular battery in your body. Hmm. Um, and it, you know, it's a long story, but it, uh, it's, it's my favorite marker. But so, so you know, I, I have people do what I call the Gedanken experiment, the thinking experiment. You take three glasses of water, and water is a pretty good solvent in chemistry, but compared to what your gut should be, it's, it's a lousy solvent, but if you take your gut on proton pump inhibitors or antacids or you've been hit with antibiotics, the wrong ones in the wrong way without the right support, then your stomach acid is not much a better digestive medium than, um, than water. A little bit mm -hmm. better, but not much. Maybe more like vinegar. Mm -hmm. So you put, you put sugar in one glass, a cheesy granola bar in another glass, and a piece of kale in the third glass, and come back in three and a half hours. That's how much time you have to liquefy everything. And of mm -hmm. course, you taste the a glass of water and it's sugar. There's nothing sweet. There's no nothing left behind. The granola bar has all kinds of debris, but when you sip it, it tastes like the sugar glass. So the point is, when your digestion is weak, you still can absorb the uh, the simple sugars, but everything else fine. So even if you're eating well and your digestion's bad, you're eating the equivalent of junk food. And mm. then you know, kale, nothing. And so if you want to get minerals like magnesium that are in, in all, all green plants, you've got to break that kale structure down. And we all know it's tough. So I have kind of like tips for everybody is eat less raw food. We, we evolved to have a little teeny stomach compared to a cow that has a four compartment massive stomach. Okay. Why does a cow have a massive stomach? It's trying to get nutrients from blades of grass. You know, this primatologist at Harvard says we've been cooking for uh, 400,000 years, but however many it is, it's been a lot longer than we've had refrigeration. So we relied on on cooking as the first phase of breaking down foods. We can't, we preserve foods with um, fermentation. That's the initial breakdown period. Um, so that's the next thing. And then in America, you start your meal with a big glass of ice water in restaurants. <laughs> Yeah, so, and it and and we're fighting rate. How fast can we break that stuff down so it's absorbable? Nothing goes across the intestine in the bloodstream unless it's liquefied. So mm -hmm. the Europeans, the Japanese, the Japanese women who live seven years longer than American women start off their day with a fermented miso soup. It's good quality soy, um, warm. Okay, and mm -hmm. the Europeans they all have tea or something. You know, you start and end your meal with something warm and and temperature makes a big difference in the rate mm. of which reactions go and your gut is just a reactor it's just a chemical reactor sorry it's that it's that it's that simple so those are my those are my tips on digestion and then probiotics are wrong for the most part 
Yeah. They're not bad. But see, fecal transplant plant research shows that we should have about a thousand different different types of organisms all creating a community to do the work. You don't build the Empire State Building with one with with five people. Okay. And most probiotics have six to ten organisms. So what I do is I put people on multiple probiotics, everybody, just for a short amount of time, or if there's sickly in their gut longer, mm-hmm. but I use probiotics that do not advertise CFU. They're, it's meaningless colony forming units. I'm looking for unique species. Mm. And so that's, that's my gut program. I don't do digestive enzymes, betaine hydrochloride, any of that stuff, unless they're really refractory. It's just digest well and make sure that you're, see, there are essential nutrients and then non-essential. Non-essential are ones that you make in your body from essential. But essential, you have to get from the outside. So a probiotic would actually be classified as an essential nutrient. Hmm. Um, have you um, ever heard of Dr. Zach Bush? Who, oh, of uh, yeah, yeah, love him. Right? The farming he's doing. Oh, yeah. You know, good yeah. stuff. And I love one of the studies that he has looked at that he talks about, and you're probably more familiar with it than me, that um, like if somebody goes on antibiotic, you know, and it's wiping out, that the people who do not supplement at all actually uh, repopulated their biome much faster. Um, than people who did supplement. And I don't know if it's, you know, the same in all circumstances. I'm sure everybody's different and everybody's unique, but overall it was, it was amazing because it it seemed um, counterintuitive, but it was because of what you're talking about, that we need a thousand different species, not six or seven different strains. It's a a turf war down there. So if you keep populating yourself with the same six over and over again, they're going to dominate. And mm-hmm. so when he talks about repopulating, he's, t- he's talking about repopulating with diversity. If you take a yes. probiotic after your gut is gray and it has six organisms, you'll, those six organisms will most likely take hold, but they're not going to help you a whole lot. You know, yeah. uh, you, you need you need the diversity. And, and, you know, I just read a recent paper in the last few months that we infancy here. And it could be that um, the proper microbiome has 10,000 organisms. It could. Yeah. And remind viewers how easy it is to repopulate your biome with diversity. So, I mean, because we're talking about doing things like petting the dog, digging in organic soil, walking through the woods. Right. Yeah. Let me give you the Um, let me give you the best one. Don't wear a mask. (laughs) No, I mean, everything's, you know, when you look at the dust in the room, Mm -hmm. you think there's just dirt. You think there might be little fellows you know, hanging well, on I, I know that if you put out a bowl with some rye flour and some water and you let it sit, you end up with sourdough starter. And that's the bacteria in the air. In the air. I, I told right. uh, Karen Kirshner, who's the CEO of uh, Microbiome Labs, he, he, get, he was on our webinar series. We do a webinar every Monday at noon Eastern and, and Tuesday at 8 p.m. Anybody who's welcome to attend, they want to contact us. But you know, we bring on good speakers, and and uh, I said, look, I want to be able to eat, like my dog. I want to be able to eat rotten meat. And he said, well, you know, there's there's probably three reasons why having pets extends life. Number one, they're friends. Number two, mm-hmm. they tend to make you move a little bit more, but you to some degree are sharing some of their microbiome. Yeah, yeah, and I like the you put those that matched what our last guest Julie was saying is instead of putting. Um, body, mind, spirit, it's spirit, mind, body. And you put that friendship 
that spirit, that connection oh, yeah. ahead oh, yeah. of even. I put that first. Yeah, I that's put that first. first. My, my dog's right over there, and it's like she's <laughs> gonna break my neck one of these days because she's always so close to me that I know she's gonna trip me. Oh dear. Oh, wow. <laughs> it will have been done with love. So. Oh, absolutely. <laughs> or, no. dude, it's time for us to go for a run. That's right. Really yeah. So, you know, caring for that biome and getting the really good digestive juices that you need to break down your food, to get your nutrients, all of that, it just comes in those really easy to do things. Just, you know, and uh, knowledge is power for me. And it just, I just love when I learned from Zach Bush that just walking through the woods, the amount of microbes, good, wonderful microbes that you get when you're walking through the woods just blowing off the trees and, and from forget, the ground don't, and don't forget don't forget going into lakes rivers and the ocean because what's yeah. in the air from the land is there's going to be a different cross-section in in the yeah. ocean compared to the lake compared to the river mm -hmm. compared to the high mountains compared to the that's why i like living here in east tennessee our mountains aren't super high but i'm at a thousand feet i'm on a lake i'm mm -hmm. on gravel roads all the time and i used to curse the vehicles when the a truck would go by us and put up this big spray of dust. And now it's like, bring it on. Because, you know, the other thing I never tell anybody is I, I studied industrial hygiene at the University of Massachusetts, too, just as a little side thing. Yeah. And there, there are particles that go in and out of your lungs. Then the, the, the ones that are really deleterious are called respirable particles. They're, it's a very small set of diameters. And then most of the things that we, if anything you see, it's not affecting your lung. You're you're collecting it and it's not making it in and you'll the cough reflex will get rid of it so the only real harmful ones are more synthetic industrial but mm -hmm. i, I want to make one point because i think this is an important one i don't want to wrap up without this because fear was a big part of the pandemic mm. yeah okay. but let me just tell you according to dr ewald the number one infectious disease is chronic disease 60 60 percent of, of adult americans have a chronic condition on the other end of the spectrum that's that's huge compared to sars in our country in some respects mm -hmm. you know it's a little more a little different than that because everybody has has the chronic precursor ebola came to our country eight, 10 years ago you want to know how many millions of people died because ebola ebola is far more virulent than like chlamydia spirochetes that cause chronic disease mm -hmm. and much more virulent than than a, more of an acute thing like the cold, common cold viruses or SARS-CoV-2. You know, wonder how many million people died of Ebola? Well, zero million, and I might have been zero Seven. completely. Seven. <laughs> yeah. Seven. 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 Okay. That's so the low. point of this exercise is that the more virulent the pathogen is, the less the likely it is to cause a pandemic. Unless they figure out a way to microencapsulate it and have it like have it transmissible through that microencapsulation and then explode two weeks down the road, then we do all die. But if that's the case, don't worry about it because you won't have to worry about it. But the point is, <laughs> the point is, just in terms of global exposure, yeah, the the ones that cause chronic disease are not very virulent and they're the most prevalent because no one knows they're spreading them. Mm -hmm. Then you have Ebola, very obvious, isolation, the the subject that can spread it, the individual dies, so the transmission link ends. Mm -hmm. 
So mm -hmm. in my humble opinion, I created a curve of transmissibility versus virulence. And it's very clear, just looking at that in 2020, I published a paper on this, mm -hmm. making reference to it in 2020 on SARS, that that SARS-CoV-2 virus was designed perfectly to have just the right of amount of latency and just the right amount of virulence, mm. just perfectly. But the thing is, if you keep going up in virulence, then symptoms will emerge more quickly and transmissibility goes down. So we've yeah. kind of saw, in my opinion, unless there's some super engineering, the worst of the worst. So HIV, you know, what, what Dr. Ewald talked about in his Plague Time book is, you know, we, we've been exposed to it all. Mm -hmm. The world is connected. We've had it all. Yeah, I can go get Montezuma's revenge, you know, um, but that's not really my antibodies aren't getting crazy about that. But in terms of chronic things, we've we've been everything for the most part. Yeah. You and know, we're we're getting we're getting down to our last minutes here. And you, you said a word and it reminded me of a film. You said the word earlier um, anecdotal you know, that functional medicine doctors, when they have these success stories, you know, the traditional Western docs are saying, oh yeah, interesting anecdote, but it doesn't mean anything. But it reminded me of a, a new documentary film out that I want to encourage people to go find. Let me close this here. Um, and it's called Anecdotals. And uh, it, I'll just read to you the description. In March, 2021, after receiving my Pfizer shot, I couldn't feel the left side of my face for a month. 18 months later, electric shocks and muscle weakness continue. Unable to receive the second dose, I'm amongst a group of partially vaccinated people who have been outcast from many aspects of society with no empathy. We've been censored and told it's unethical to talk about our stories because we are just anecdotes. This movie provides a glimpse into the lives of the anecdotals, those of us whose lives have been changed drastically by taking the vaccine. It also reflects on the division and politics that prevents us from getting much needed care. Anecdotals is a personal journey that focuses on questions, not answers, and people, not politics. So you can watch this at anecdotalsmovie.com. No, that's, so I, that's excellent. We're anecdotal. Mm -hmm. We're irrelevant, but what I what I wrote in, um, I can't remember which volume, but it's in there. It's like, no, the, the, the chapter on the brave docs that, that did the early treatment. Mm -hmm. but, uh, but the, yeah. the, the inhumane treatment of humans. Mm -hmm. we, nobody treats animals that way. The way, that, the way our older folks were treated in hospital and nursing homes and in isolation. It, the doctors were afraid because they were ignorant about what the disease was and it's like yeah he treated these poor people it just it it makes i i can't think about it too much like really think about what the experience was like because it makes me think to my stomach. I, I i luckily did not have a loved one die alone in the hospital but mm -hmm. you know my mom and her husband passed away in 2019 and there was one of us children in the hospital 24 seven we Absolutely. never left them alone um, and I just can't imagine how horrific it, and inhumane it's been. We really have got to make sure this never happens again. I right. want to share with people this website um, of yours here. This is Health Revival Partners, healthrevivalpartners.com. So tell me about this website. 
what I say is we do, we answer the most important question in health. Where do you reside in the health disease continuum? Because if you don't know that you're, you know, so many of us are running around so-called apparently well, that, but they're time bombs, you know? So mm -hmm. where are you? Are you in the green? If you're not, I want to help get you there. And it's, that's all through risk assessment, digitized risk assessment and lab panel. And I can do it anywhere in the country. And then I have okay. folks like uh, overseas that I work with and they say, well, I can't get your lab. I say, you don't have to. I published a paper that shows we've gotten so precise with our risk assessment rating that we can actually uh, predict your lab. So I don't need your labs. You can, um, you know, labs, lab gives you more objectivity uh, mm -hmm. for sure. Mm -hmm. But, um, you know, risks drive everything. Mm -hmm. And so we, we start there first. But then in the labs just... Uh, you know, um, corroborate that, but also give you the uh, the analytics to tell whether you've improved or not. So that's mm -hmm. why it's important because sometimes you can improve and it's a placebo effect. So we want to know for real, have you improved? And you can't do it with today's labs. Like mm -hmm. I, my reference range is abnormal for say total cholesterol. It doesn't even overlap with the standard care. It doesn't even overlap. I mean, so like if you're normal in the standard care, in my opinion, you're abnormal. Mm. And if you're, if you're normal in mind, you're abnormal in the standard care. Not even, yeah. not even one little piece of overlap. And I'll tell you right now, based on really good studies, they're wrong. Mm -hmm. We all know that. Mm -hmm. But I, yeah. I see this really coordinating with the, you know, like the medical freedom organization, freedomhealthcare.us, that Julie Wentz um, is working with. Oh, yeah, with. I, work, I work with her, yeah. Yeah. So, you know, what your service is offering here is empowering individuals to explore their own health, explore where they're out of balance, what their needs are, what they... So, you know, you come at it from a position of power. You don't just go to somebody else and hand yourself over, but you can work with somebody to learn things. And I think that's an, that's an important part of... There is some work involved in staying healthy. And we have to take responsibility for our own health. Today there is, yeah, because we don't. There's yeah. so many things that we ex are exposed to that are natural. Yeah, yeah. So we got like two minutes. What's your What's your last words that you would like to um, to share with people? Uh, well, a, a, a couple things. Just you know what I do. You know, there are seventy two thousand diagnostic codes in the standard of care. In my opinion, five mechanisms drive most of them. So I help people overcome those simple. So it's, it's not a complicated system. It's five things. And I work on, you know, uh, good nutrition, digestion, absorption. And the main, the main thing I didn't talk about is almost every disease stems from microvascular dysfunction. And so I spend a lot of time measuring and helping people restore that peripheral neuropathy. Any pain is, is, uh, is at least, if not primary, secondarily a, a blood flow issue. And then one of the things we do rather uniquely is we run an, a, a chronic infectious panel. It's very inexpensive on everyone just to see where you are. So like chlamydia pneumonia, Alzheimer's, arthritis, lung cancer, heart disease, all connected to this organism. So it's like, is heart disease a statin deficiency? I don't think so. No. White blood cells go up. If so, then there's something inflammatory in your, in your system. Yeah, nobody is pharmacologically deficient, right? No. I mean, you might be nutrient deficient or something deficient yeah. from nature, but nobody's deficient of something 
you know, a, a product out there made by Merck or Pfizer, right? Yeah, I'm, I'm pleased <laughs> to tell you I don't have a C, I'm, I'm pleased to tell you I don't have a CPAP deficiency. Yeah. <laughs> no, but it, it, if, if you want to know how truly healthy from a optimal continuum perspective, that that's what we yeah. do. And my, my, my goal is to spread these types of analytics into the things that people like Julie are doing and and other groups that I'm working with. That's what we that, need. We need yeah, stuff. that's wonderful. Thank you, Dr. Lewis. It's been a treat having you on. And my pleasure, as always. Yeah, thank to, you, neighbor. Yeah, and Inform Life Radio and 1150 AM KKNW. We'll see you next week. We got music next week. Hi, I'm Brian Dacus, President and Founder of the Pacific Justice Institute. For over 25 years, PJI's mission has been to defend religious freedom parental rights, and the sanctity of human life. PJI has protected patients from being taken off life support and stood up for citizens around the country facing job loss for medical decisions that should be left between them and their doctor. For free legal representation and resources, visit pji.org. Hi, I'm Lynn Redwood, president of the nonprofit Children's Health Defense. Our chairman, Robert F. Kennedy Jr., and our entire team are devoted to ending the epidemic of illnesses and disorders plaguing our children today. Through legal action, we're working to hold industries and government agencies accountable and to establish safeguards to prevent further harm. We're working overtime during this COVID-19 crisis to keep you informed about the politics and science of rush vaccine candidates. Freedom and our children's futures have never been more in jeopardy. But we can succeed. With your help, we can stop the devastation and give our children and grandchildren the healthy future they deserve. To learn more about what we're doing and how you can help, visit childrenshealthdefense.org and sign up for our free news. Please visit childrenshealthdefense.org today. Are you suffering from a sinking feeling that the COVID-19 pandemic is being blown out of proportion and that nothing in the news is making any sense? If so, then there is a fact-based, science-driven news show designed just for you. My name is Del Bigtree, and I am the host of The High Wire, the world's most trusted news source in digital media when it comes to accurate, science-based reporting on the COVID-19 pandemic. From COVID-19 vaccine development to mask mandates, school shutdowns to job layoffs, The High Wire goes beyond providing you with the most accurate, evidence-based investigations. We send you links to the sources for all of our reporting so that you can further your own investigation and come to your own informed conclusions. High above the agenda-driven circus of mainstream media, we do not run. We do not hide from the truth. Instead, we walk the high wire. If you care about truth, then join us on Instagram, Twitter, Roku, and our website, thehighwire.com.